0: Good morning. Welcome here. Um, It's a privilege to also, again, have the opportunity to be able to share God's word with you. And as mentioned, I wasn't expecting this, but as mentioned, it is my birthday today. Um, And uh, thank you. Thank you, what better way to, to share uh, and, and experience and celebrate my birthday than to share this stage with our youth uh, and share this morning uh, with our youth. Um, for those of you in Perry Sound, um, we, uh, we are blessed to have some of your youth with us here uh, this morning. Um, and although it may not be Youth Takeover Sunday where you are, um, I hope that you are encouraged that your youth are equally as eager, equally as excited uh, and stoked to be serving here and serving the Lord all the same, even if it sounds like we're underwater. Um, (laughs) uh, isn't this great? Isn't it awesome? Isn't it amazing that not only we are a part of a church that allows but encourages our youth to take part in a Sunday morning service? Absolutely. I hope you've been blessed by them. Um, whether you were greeted uh, with a high five or a fist bump or you uh, were uh, seated, taken, or brought to your seat or you left your kids uh, in their hands in our Harvest Kids or you were just incredibly blessed uh, by our youth band that led us in a time of worship this morning because I know I have been blessed by them and I hope you have been too. And in fact, for every youth serving here this morning, I see your green shirts and I know some of you don't have them. Um, Super proud of you guys. Super, super joyful and yeah, absolutely. Praise God. This is your church too. You know, you're just as smart, just as much, man, my goodness. You are just as much a part of uh, this church as anybody else. And so it's exciting to be worshiping with you and serving with you uh, and being a part of the ministry uh, that we call Harvest Youth. So, again, thank you so much for for serving this morning. Uh, Just like any other week, you're going to want to open your Bibles and grab your Bibles. If you don't have one, if you don't have a Bible, throw your hands up in the air. Our youth, our leaders, our ushers uh, would love to get a Bible into your hands. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, this is yours to keep. Um, And we believe it's important for everyone to have a copy of God's word, as this is where truth is gonna happen. This is where he and how he has revealed himself to us in the special revelation of uh, his word. And so please uh, grab one, and you're gonna wanna turn to the book of Matthew. We're gonna look at two passages this morning. Turn to Matthew 28. It's in the New Testament for those who may not know. And uh, keep a finger in Matthew 28. And then turn back a few pages to Matthew 4. That's where we're going to be this morning, and while you're turning to Matthew 4, uh, over the course of the last couple months uh, at youth, we have an, a, a, this reoccurring theme that has come up, and it's weaved itself in and out of every message or every time of study that we have, whether it was through our uh, uh, Sayings of Jesus series in our live nights, or through the words of Paul or Peter or James in our agape nights, which are nights that are designed specifically for more intentional study and more intentional discussion, uh, this, this this. This theme of being bold for the mission of Christ kept coming up, kept coming up over and over and over. There is something about following Jesus and being radically motivated to be bold for the mission that he has called you to, they go hand in hand with each other. So when I was tasked with the freedom of being able to determine this morning's message, it only made sense that the Holy Spirit would bring this theme up again. Three months ago was when I chose this passage and had a motivation as to where the Lord was leading it. But during this past week of study and preparation, the Lord has married that original motivation with where I wanted to go with this passage, with this being bold for the mission of Jesus Christ. And I'm super pumped for what he has for us today. So, Matthew chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18. Let me set the scene a bit. Jesus, okay, God in the flesh, has just begun his ministry here on earth. He's already been baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. He's been brought through the wilderness and tempted by Satan. And he's now begun preaching about his father's kingdom. And when he's walking by the Sea of Galilee and notices some fishermen, and what he's about to do here is absolutely mind blowing. Like if the Bible were to be written today, the, the little heading over these verses where it says Jesus calls his first disciples, that little heading would be more like one of those clickbait titles you see on social media all the time, you know the ones I'm talking about? The ones that are like written so obnoxiously curious that you just can't help but click on them. Something like, I still am in shock. I can't believe what just happened. And it shows like this picture of a kitten licking a popsicle, and you're like, what is gonna happen to that kitten click? Do you know those ones? you know what I'm talking about? If you don't, just ask a millennial. They're all over it. It would be like that, only I would envision this title saying, Jesus said something, and what happened next, I still can't understand. Because that's what this set of verses is like. Out of these verses, we should come away being incredibly encouraged and incredibly empowered for the mission that Christ has for us. So are you ready? Ready to have your mind blasted? All right, Matthew chapter four, verse 18 says this. While walking by the sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So did you catch it? Did you catch what was so mind-blowing? You might be thinking, uh, Russ, all I saw was Jesus tell some fishermen to come follow him, and they did. Nothing groundbreaking there, dude. Well, let's look closer. Okay, because if you're anything like me, someone who may have grown up their entire life in the church, you've heard this a thousand times. You, you, you've heard the phrase fishers of men more times than you can count, and you may have even sung songs in the church basement in Sunday school. You know the songs like, I will make you fishers of men. You guys know that song? <laughs> you're familiar with it. You think, and you might even have been taught, that these men were just so captivated by Christ that they dropped everything and followed him. And that may be true. And there's nothing wrong with that answer, but we missed something incredibly significant. And that's what we're going to focus on this morning. So I want to frame this morning's message into two sections. And if you're a note taker, you may want to split your page into two headings. and They're going to be up on the screen here. One of those headings will be the call to Follow and the other will be the charge to go. So what was so incredible about these verses then? What was so credible about what Jesus said? um, What was supposed to get me so fired up about this mission for Christ? How does Jesus calling a few fishermen to follow him motivate me to do the same? Well, here's our first point. Our first point is this, in the call to follow, Jesus qualifies the unqualified. How many of us have ever felt unqualified for a task? Felt unqualified. In the mindset of feeling unqualified, uh, we were timid and uneasy, and, and just, just unsure of our ability to perform. You know, It might have been uh, that we didn't feel comfortable enough to operate a certain machinery at work, so we kind of stayed away from that machinery. Or we didn't feel comfortable to, uh, in our ability to drive standards, so anyone had a standard car, we'd just like, forget that, that was me forever. Didn't want to go near it, I was like, I'm gonna die in this thing. Or maybe we hold back our performance at work because we're too afraid of the responsibility of a promotion, because we just don't think that we're good enough at where we are, so we're totally fine with just flying under the radar. Fill in the blank, we all know the feeling of being disqualified, or unqualified rather, or at least thinking that we're unqualified. Well, how about this? And we don't need a show of hands for this, but how many of us feel like we're unqualified to be on mission for Christ? How many of us feel like we just don't quite have the knowledge or don't quite have the ability or just don't feel ready enough to be on mission? You know, I've accepted this Jesus guy. He's my Lord and savior, but I don't know about going into the world. I don't know about telling my friends about him. I don't know about serving. We worry about when questions are asked, we won't know the answers. We hesitate to commit to serve in our church because we just don't feel confident in our ability to be able to do so. We see so many, we see our friends, our family serving fantastically in their positions. And we're like, I can never serve that well or that joyful, so I'm not even going to present myself the opportunity to be known, to make myself or put myself into a position to be asked to serve. Does this sound familiar? Is that you this morning? Let's take a look at our text again. Verse 18, While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. But what was so special about that? What was so special about these words from Christ that caused these fishermen to drop their nets and follow him? Well, in order to answer that, we need to travel back to the first century and understand some context here. So grab your flux capacitors with me and let's go back to the first century. Because the first thing that we need to understand is that one of the greatest honors in Jewish culture was to be a teacher of the law or a rabbi. They were looked up to and revered highly in their society. But here's the kicker, and maybe this will start getting the wheels turning a bit. Rabbis didn't choose their disciples. That's not culturally what happened. In fact, Jewish boys needed to go through an incredibly intensive education system just to even be considered by a rabbi. And here's what they needed to do. There was three levels of schooling that a Jewish boy needed to go through. Women, in first century, you, you, you learned what was going on in the household, how to be a wife, how to be a mother, how to, to run the household. And men, you were put, sent off into school. By age five, you would go to the first level of schooling called the Bet safar or the house of the book. And in this, you would spend the next five years during whatever times was school. Let's say it was like ours, like 8.30 to 3 o'clock. You would spend that entire time memorizing the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, memorized. Anyone ever been to Iwana? Ever thought, man, there's no way I'm going to get through this book this year? It pales in comparison to what's going on here. Memorized. And then you would go home after school, and you would learn the trade of your father. So if he was a fisherman, you would learn to fish. If he was a carpenter, you would learn to carpet. Um, and <laughs> um, But... uh. Then you would go back, and for the five years, you would do this. And if you were able to memorize the Torah, you got to move on to the next level of schooling. If not, you dropped out, and you did the thing that your father did. The second level of schooling, called the Bet Talmud, was the house of learning. And from ages 10 to 14, you would now memorize the rest of the Tanakh, or Joshua to Malachi, a.k.a. the whole Old Testament. Memorized, banked, got it locked. Not only that, but you would also know what the rabbis of that region had said and commentated on the Old Testament. So would be like, hey, Rabbi Kai says this about Joshua. Rabbi Lee said this about, about the, the Psalms. And if you were good enough to memorize all that, if you uh, committed to your study and you committed to, to working that out, and your parents could afford to let you go on to the next level of schooling, meaning like they didn't need you to keep the family business going, you would go on to the Bet Midrash, or the House of Study, and at age 14, the student would then search out a rabbi to be discipled by. So I might like what Rabbi Kai said about Joshua. I'm like, hey, Rabbi Kai, would you consider being uh, my rabbi? Would you consider making me your disciple? And after all this, after the last nine years of memorizing and knowing what he had said about scriptures, it was left to whether or not uh, P- Rabbi Kai would say, yes. And if he said no, I would go on to the next one and see who would be able to disciple me. And if I wasn't able to make it through all this, I would go and do what my father had done, whether he was a fisherman, a carpenter, whatever. So for these fishermen, by their culture's standards were failures and dropouts. They didn't make it. We know this because in verse 18 it says, for they were fishermen. It meant you didn't graduate from school, therefore you were not qualified for ministry. And here comes this rabbi, comes up to them and says, this might sound a little crazy and you're not going to expect this at all, but I want you to follow me. I want you to come and be my disciple. And these guys' worlds just got rocked. Jesus just flipped the culture upside down and destroyed any idea that you needed to be one of the elite to follow him on mission. And how many times have we just read over that and not picked up on the cultural weight that that verse holds? Still think you're unqualified? Because Jesus doesn't. He qualified you, just like he qualified those fishermen. But that's not all of it. There's more mind blasting going on in this this passage here. In fact, the the fact that Jesus qualifies you to be on mission pales pales in comparison to the fact, and this is our second point, that the God of the universe is choosing you to get involved in his mission. Think about that for a second. The God of the universe is choosing you to get involved in his mission. Amen, absolutely. Now, for some of us, the true value of a statement like that is lost. Because we live in a society and a culture where we choose everything. You know, we, we choose our clothes, our diet, our friends, our, our jobs, our schools. We choose custom phone cases, TV packages, whether or not we believe in climate change. And we post photo, we choose what photos to post onto social media that have just the right filters and just the right clever hashtags that give the impression that our lives are a little bit more glamorous than maybe they really are. Everything is about us and what we choose. And we miss the fact that the God of the universe is interested in you and choosing you to be on mission the same God that with the power of his voice spoke all of life into existence, who is eternally self-sufficient, who is eternally self-glorifying, who is infinitely righteous, infinitely holy, infinitely powerful, infinitely glorious, is walking by the sea of Harvest Bible Chapel, sees you, the unqualified participant, walks up to you and says, follow me. Why? Because he's interested in you. And why is this significant? Because it takes away any idea that we get to choose the mission or that we get to choose God like we choose our salad dressing or data plan and places all the chips on his end of the table and goes all in saying, I have chosen you to follow me. Come on mission with me. And we know this again. As Jesus says in John 15, he says, no longer do I call you servants, talking about his disciples, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Have you ever had someone pick out a job for you because they knew you were the right person for it? Or they approach, they approach you at work, or, or maybe this happens at school and your teacher comes to you, or it's a neighbor or a parent or a friend. They approach you and say, hey, I got something for you. You're the perfect person I have in mind for this job. You're the only one I know that can do it. And that makes you feel special that it is something that you can do. And they thought about your skill set and they thought about uh, uh, your abilities and they had the effort to approach you and say that you are the right person for what they have. Well, God's doing the exact same thing. But he's much mightier and much more important than our boss or our neighbor. And he's approaching you and saying, Russ, I have just the right job for you. I've carefully prepared this just for you. And I know you're going to do a great job with it because I'm going to be with you the whole time. Doesn't that excite you? Doesn't that encourage you? Again, the God of the universe is choosing you to be on mission and to be involved in what he's doing. Don't let Satan trick you into thinking you're not capable enough. Not capable enough of the mission that Christ has called you to because God has already qualified you for it. Jesus knew that these fishermen didn't make the cut. Jesus knew they didn't have the knowledge, but all throughout scripture, we see God use ordinary people to do extraordinary things. So what extraordinary things does God want to do for you and through you, specifically in the context of this church and the community that you live in, but you're too focused on choosing for yourself when the right time for that is? In fact, you might even still be holding on to a few things before you go all in. You've just sort of like dipped your toes uh, into the water of Christ's mission while you lounge in a chair on the dock of life, uh, holding and sipping back a tall gold glass, tall cold glass of its comforts and distractions. When Jesus presses in and says to us, come serve me and my people, what is our response? When Jesus comes and presses in and says, come tell your friends about me, what's our response? When Jesus says, follow me, what's our response? What has it been so far? Think about that for yourself. Let's look again real quick what these fishermen do and see what their, if their response matches ours. Look back at verse 19. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately, they left the boat and their father and followed him, immediately. They sensed an urgency about the mission. They had just been called on and left their nets, the very nets that brought them their income. And they left their father, likely the very one who trained them in how to make a living. To follow after the God of the universe that called them into something far greater, has our response matched that? Do we immediately leave those and go? And if not, what nets of doubt and what boats of meaningless distractions do we need to leave behind in order for it to be? Remember, the God of the universe is choosing you to be involved in mission, and Jesus has qualified you for it. Let's get excited, let's get active, let's get all in about the mission that Christ has for us. Now, some of you might be saying, okay, Russell, you've talked a lot about mission, but what is that mission then? Uh, You may even have pumped me up, you may even have got me ready, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do. What do I need to do to be stoked and all in, and what am I about to do in this mission? So turn now to where your finger was in Matthew 28. Matthew 28, we have the bookend to Matthew 4. In Matthew 4, Jesus is calling his disciples to follow him, to come on mission with him. And now at the end of his time here on earth, he has gathered his disciples, and many of us know this passage, we're very familiar with this passage and he's giving them instructions on what they are to do in his absence. And we too are to heed these instructions and take them as if they were written to us, which they are. Matthew 28, 18 says this, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's the mission. That's it right there. Go therefore and make disciples. Mark's account uh, of this says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to all creation. Go proclaim the gospel, tell them about Jesus and go make disciples. That's what we're called to do. And how are we to do that? Well, Jesus says, by teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Teaching them to do what he has told you. Teach them to love your neighbor. Teach them to seek first the kingdom of God. Teach them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that no man comes to the Father except through him. But Russ, I'm still nervous about that. I'm afraid, I'm too shy. Fear not, because look at verse 20. Teaching them to deserve all I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Not sometimes, not most of the time, always. Always till the end of the age. Jesus has qualified you for this. He has chosen you for this. And when we reflect on Paul's words in Ephesians That we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which what? God laid out beforehand that we should walk in them. Meaning, God, in his absolute sovereignty, before you're even a thought in your parents' mind, laid out beforehand all the works he would have you walk in. He already set the trajectory on which you should follow. He chose for you that trajectory, qualified you to travel along it, and promises that you aren't alone, that he is with you always to the end of the age. That sounds pretty awesome to me. That sounds pretty empowering to me. That sounds pretty encouraging to me that the Lord knew what I had, knew what he had for me, knew that I could do it, and then said, by the way, I'm gonna be with you. So it's actually me that's doing it. In that, there should then be absolutely nothing, nothing that we should be afraid of or question on the mission that Christ has set out before us. Nothing. So what do I need to do then? Where where, where can I be involved? What, what, What would you have us do? Here's two practical ways to jump on board of the mission Christ has called you to. First one is this, is get involved and serve. What would it look like to view every ministry here at Harvest as an opportunity for discipleship? If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, love him with all your heart, want to serve, what does it look like to serve here in Harvest, on our ushers and greeter teams? Be that first point of contact for our church, especially those that walk in here for the first time. Be that first encounter with Christ they have. And while doing so, Look for other men and women and students that you can equip to do the same. What does it look like to raise up more people, to greet and to, 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 to run the, 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 the practicalness of this, of this Sunday morning? What about set up and tear down? Man, you the real MVP if you want set up and tear down. They're here super early to set up on Sunday, like incredibly early to set up on Sunday mornings so that they run smoothly and stay till about 2 o'clock in the afternoon to make sure that this all gets set back up so that school can happen the next day. What does it look like to step in and serve in this ministry and not only serve our church as a whole, but you all could also serve these men and women and give them opportunities to have lunch with their families every now and then? Well, and then raise up more people to do the same. Harvest kids, absolutely, yeah. What a great opportunity for discipleship in the next generation of our church. What does it look like to give Sharon a shout, jump into a Harvest Kids class and be diligent and intentional in our preparation each week as we lead and instruct our little ones in the way of Christ, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded? You might think, well, if I serve during my time here, I won't get to sit in the sermon rust, especially if I'm in Harvest Kids. Well, what does it look like to drop the nets of comfort and ease and serve one service and sit in another one. For you, that might be the cost of the mission. It's difficult to do both, but remember Christ has qualified you for it, meaning it's possible and he's made you capable to do it. Just trust him and be all in. And there's many other ways you can serve in our church. What does it look like to help out with our coffee cart or volunteers for communion? That's a big job, believe it or not. It's a lot of sips of grape juice that need to be poured on those mornings? What does it look like to serve and jump in and just be all in for what this church is doing, the church that you say that you belong to? God has qualified you for it. He's placing on your heart to do something about it, and he's saying, I'm with you through it. And since I'm the youth guy, I can park on this one a little bit more, what does it look like to serve and harvest youth? See, I'm looking for help in multiple areas. I'm looking for families or individuals to serve by offering to commit their homes to consistently host a group of students two to three times a month on Tuesday nights from October to June. I'm looking for homes specifically in Huntsville, Port Sydney, Utterson, Bracebridge, and Gravenhurst, and these homes will be for our Agape Youth Nights, and our Agape Youth Nights are the times of the month where we have intentional study and intentional discussion and intentional community, and what does it look like to be a part of that ministry by offering up your home and saying, hey, we would love to be, to be one of those places that, we can, that those students can meet in. I'm looking for men and women, whether you're single or married, have kids or grandkids to serve in our ministry, to, to, to train up our young people, to, to uh, pour into their lives and to teach them to observe all that Christ has commanded by walking life through with them on Tuesday nights and throughout the week. It's one of the hardest ministries to believe that you are qualified to be a part of. you like, well, I'm not ready enough to, to really raise up these youth. Well, Christ has qualified you for it. These fishermen weren't ready to go on the mission that he called them to. Yet they dropped their nets and went and trusted that he would do the work. We can't do the work. I can't do the work myself. If I did Harvest Youth as Russell, it would be a failure. If I trust in Christ, I know that he's gonna bring fruit. Get stoked for the mission of Christ and step into a role of serving in the church. Second practical way, get involved and see your, your community as a mission field. One of the best ways to do this, one of the first ways to do this, what does it look like to join, if you're not already in one, joining up in a small group? And you're like, man, like, this church really pushes that small group thing. We believe it's important And of a church of this size to be able to do life together in those smaller communities, in those smaller, tangible meetings where you can serve one another, love one another, learn from one another, pray with each other, find out ways that you can serve in your community. Perhaps even in that, you are raised up and apprenticed into a leadership role to be a small group leader so that we can multiply that ministry because we don't want those small groups to stay the same. We want want to see multiplication. We want to see uh, God go out into those communities. What does it look like to really reach our community? Being involved in a small group so that we can love one another and know what's going on. What does it look like to be missional at work? What does it look like to be bold for Christ in the office, at the job site? What does it look like to trust that God in his sovereignty who laid out your trajectory for you and placed you in the workplace that you are in, where Christ has qualified you for the opportunity to then share who Jesus is? And we do so by dropping the net of fear and being all in for his mission? What does it look like for us to truly trust Christ, that he is with us always, even to the end of the workday, let alone to the end of the age? What does it look like for us to be all in for the mission that Christ has qualified and called us to? As the worship team comes up, I wanna end with something. Um, One of those men Jesus called that day in the boat was Peter. And a lot of us can relate to Peter. See, Peter denied Jesus. How many of us have done that in any shape, way, or form? He was one of his closest friends he was one of his closest disciples and he denied even knowing the man when he was faced with opposition and fear for his life because of his association with Christ near the end, uh, near the time where, where Christ was executed, where he was put on the cross. But that same Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and went on to defy his opposition and risk prison and death all for the name of Jesus Christ. And that same Holy Spirit resides in you. That same Holy Spirit can give you the courage to be bold, to be bold, to be on mission in Christ's name, for Christ's name. And we're gonna end this service by singing a song that we sung earlier this morning, again, in response. And I want you to think about the lyrics of this song and sing them with absolute conviction, where Christ is your all in all and the joy of your salvation that there is nothing in this world that can ever satisfy us but him, that we have decided to follow him and no turning back. And if we truly are convicted this morning, let us sing with that conviction and belt out louder than we ever have that Christ is enough for us and everything we need is in him, that he has qualified us and chosen us for the mission he has called us to. If you desire to be a part of that mission, let this song be your anthem. You know, 120 men were used to start the church as we know it back in Acts. Imagine what God can do with the men and women in this room. Imagine what God can do with the men and women in Perry Sound. Imagine what God can do with the students. If we caught hold of the mission that Christ, uh, if we caught hold of the mission of Christ and were bold in his name to go forth and accomplish it. He's qualified you for it. He's chosen you for it. He's calling you into something amazing. Let's be all in, trust him, find ways to serve, find ways to be bold. What does it look like to be on mission for Christ this week, today? Let's pray. Father God, you are so good and so holy. Lord, you are so righteous. And we thank you, Lord, that you have qualified us Sinners who have sinned against you, who deny you, yet you have taken out in your, in your love and in your desire, Lord, to send your son, Jesus Christ, so that we may be made righteous before you and qualified to do what you have called us to do through Jesus. Lord, I pray for any one of us here this morning that that, that that desires to be bold, that wants to be bold, Lord, that they would just trust in you right now for the strength and the ability to do so, as you've already laid out before them what you have. Lord, I pray that we'd see this morning as an encouragement, that we'd see this morning as an opportunity to trust in you fully and to be excited for what you have for us in our communities, in this church Lord to bring forth the gospel of Jesus Christ Lord as we sing this song right now Lord I pray this would truly be a conviction for us this would truly be our heart's cry that we have decided to follow Jesus and that there's no turning back there's anything that we've been holding on to to prevent us from moving forward anything that we've been holding on to that we've been uh, in our own comfort and in our own ease that you would call us out of that And that we would trust you along the way when things do get difficult. Knowing you are the one who plows. Lord, help us to be um, obedient and diligent in that. We pray this in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.